lettering is having a bit of a moment, and no one is making it more colorful and quirky than my friend, Natalie Keller Periano of Natterdoodle. I have one of her fun stickers on my laptop right this minute that says, I was not made to be subtle. And this seems to be a bit of a mantra for her in her business and in her life. It is no wonder that we get along so well. Yes, Natalie does lettering, but guess what? We don't really talk a ton about lettering in this episode. Instead, we go into owning a brick and mortar store, what happens when your hobby becomes your jobby, why traveling is an important part of Natalie's business model. And speaking of travel, we do dive into the coronavirus and the effects it is having on the creative community. Before we talk to Natalie, hello there. I am your host, Jennifer Perkins, and this is a Creative Queso podcast. I am pumped you are here with me to talk about the business of being creative and the creativity behind running a business. I talk to all kinds of fun people, from professional knitters to tattoo artists, because you know what? At the end of the day, business is business, and you can learn something from everyone. This awesome episode is full of giggles and reminiscing of my recent trip to Columbus, Ohio, where I stayed with Natalie and the two of us attended Midwest Craft Con. But if you teach workshops, if you own a physical store, or if you're trying to find your voice in a crowded market, I promise there is something for you here. Back to lettering, I have the worst bubbly fourth grade cheerleader handwriting ever with almost zero lettering skills and I still walked away from today's conversation with so much good stuff and I promise you will too. All right welcome to the Creative Queso podcast Natalie. Thank you I'm excited. I am pumped I was just thinking as I was like Getting all my questions ready, I was like, we have had kind of a whirlwind crafty romance together, <laughs> you and I. Like, we met in California, then we had dinner together, and I took your class here in Texas, then I just stayed with you in Iowa, in, Iowa, in Ohio, <laughs> and then in a few months, we're going to kind of wash, rinse, and repeat with the whole cycle starting. I know. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like another yeah. conference and another trip to Austin. Yeah. I'm excited. It's a lot of cool crafty yeah. time together. I'm not complaining. I know. I'm not. I'm, yeah. I'm, I was going to say, I'm definitely not angry about yeah. it. <laughs> and, you know, I say all this because it seems like travel and taking your workshops on the road are a really big part of your business. Is that true or false? <laughs> I, like, I like it phrased as a question that's easy to answer. True, Jennifer. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I don't see a lot of people with, like... A brick and mortar store doing what you do, which is traveling all over the country to kind of spread the crafty gospel. So do you, you know, like what, what made you decide to do that? Yeah. So I've been traveling with the workshops for longer than I've had the retail space. So I think, um, I think that that was already part of kind of my rhythm of life and a big part of uh, my business. So I, I've been accustomed to traveling with the workshops. And then when I did open the brick and mortar uh, space, that was just a really great way for me to a move things out of my home. Um, Cause yeah. you know, this from being yeah. a crafter at home, every room somewhat ends up being your business. So my dining room and my 
basement and my guest room and my garage, part of my room, one closet in the hallway, they were all, you know, part of Natterdoodle. And so I was looking for a way to, um, to kind of separate my work and life a little bit more. And also a place for me, a home base for me in Columbus when I'm teaching rather than, um, driving all around the city. I still teach some places in Columbus, but most of the time I can just do it in my own space now. So I'm able to, to do both, to teach in Columbus and have my own home base, but also hit the road and come to great places like Austin or St. Louis and teach, um, teach when I'm out there as well. I love it. So does the store, like, do you have someone that works for you? So like, is the store open? Like when you're in Austin, is the store open? Are you like just open for like workshops and select hours or like, how do you balance both? Yeah. So I don't know that I found the perfect balance for both, but, um, the space that I have is really my studio as the first priority for it. So somewhere for me to work and for Natterdoodle to live. And then the second um, priority for it is a workshop space. So, um, so that we can have that home base here in Columbus. And then the third is retail. So it's great to have a retail store that people can, um, pop into, but most of my, uh, my product sales are still wholesale or online. So, um, if I'm on the road and I do have an assistant who's amazing, um, and for whatever reason, she also can't be at the store. We just let folks know in advance that the days were going to be closed and the fact that I'm on the road and everyone's pretty understanding because for the most part, um, I don't treat it as a retail store proper, more like my art studio, which has open public hours. I like it. Yeah. You kind of, when we were there, you kind of talked about it yeah, in some ways, yeah. like your studio, but like it almost is like a co-working space sometimes too, for like close friends or. Yeah. Yeah. I love, um, when there are visiting artists in from out of town, I'm all, um, who I know I'm always offering, Oh, if you're going to work in Columbus, you should come work at the space with me. Cause that gives me an opportunity to have a coworker for a day. Cause I came from a very team oriented environment now just being me and my assistant, um, who's part time. It's really fun if there's other creatives sharing the space. And I also make the space available to, um, my creative friends who are teaching workshops when they're in town or don't have their own space in Columbus. And it's so cute, that space, by golly. Thank you. I love it so much. It really is. It really is a dreamy space. I really, I never, you know, sometimes when you're going to work, it's like, oh, I don't really want to go to work. But I never really feel that way going to that space because even on a gray day in Ohio, which there are many, it still is bright and cheerful and I think it evokes a lot of, of joy for folks and it does oh, for me yeah. too. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, you know, balloons in the windows, neon in the back, like <laughs> what's not to love, honestly, Thank like I, I could spend a lot of time in there. So Thank would you, you say that like, you're like traveling around the country? Does, do you feel like that, like, like augments your like brick and mortar business in any way? Or do you think that helps just raise brand awareness and increase those like wholesale orders and those online orders you were talking about? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think it increases brand awareness. Um, you know, when I get to travel to places like Austin and um, often when I'm when I'm traveling, I'll try to teach several times when I'm in a new city um, and maybe at a couple of different places. It just exposes me to folks who A, are interested in lettering, which is, you know, teaching is a big part of my business, but B, who probably like the kind of stuff I make if they're interested in lettering. Um, So that's good. And it also exposes me to those shops and brick and mortar stores. Um, I've picked up some wholesale lines because I've 
first reached out about teaching at a place um, and they get to know me and then they get to know my work. And, you know, I'm always a big believer, and this is about social media too. When you get to know someone and you trust them, you want to buy from them. And I think that's the same for retail store owners. You know, if they like me and they're interested in my story, they'll be even better at selling my product because they mm-hmm. they know me and they know they know my work. So it's definitely um, it's helpful for online sales and and brand awareness. But you know, teaching is the biggest part of my business. It's my real bread and butter. And it makes up about 75% of my, um, my profits. And you're so good at it. Like oh, even I walked thanks. out of there with that chalk letter board thing and was like, Oh my gosh, like my kids were so impressed. I was proud of myself. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like for someone with like incredibly crappy handwriting, this actually looks really good. <laughs> well, Jen, you're so, you're such an artist. I would hope that you could leave with something spectacular and you did. Um, but yeah, I love to teach and I, I appreciate that compliment. I mean, I was in education for 10 years before, um, I left Natter, left to pursue Natterdoodle full time. And I, I do feel like Natterdoodle, especially with the teaching is really kind of that sweet spot for me, um, between the education and the art kind of combined into one. It's really, I think combined my two greatest strengths and I really, I really do love it. I love it a lot. Yeah. And- you know, another thing that you did that I thought was so smart because, you know, I joke that I have crafty ADD and I take, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I take different rando classes like all the time. Yeah. Like I'm, this week I'm doing macrame, next week I'm doing pottery and then yeah. I'm doing brush lettering. But, you know, the one thing that you did that I thought was unique and smart is you sent out that really helpful like newsletter after the class to everybody that was like, and it wasn't just a, like, hey, follow me online and buy my stuff. It was like, you know. Yeah here are more ways to keep up with your skills. Here's the list of the things that we used. Like, let me know how I'm doing. Like, I thought that was a really savvy thing to do. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, you know, for me, I realized that when you're attending a workshop, it's an investment of your money, um, you know, supplies and you're paying for supplies. You're paying for the teacher's experience. You're, you're paying for the space. You're paying for all those things. And it is an investment of your money and your time. And a lot of people, I hope want to continue with some elements of it after the class. I'm always comfortable. If your goal is to come and have two hours of me time and you don't do anything else with it after that to me is a good investment of your time and money. But if you're investing in it longer term and you're hoping to continue your skills, I always want to make sure that you leave feeling like your teacher, me is still in touch with you. um, And that you've got access to resources. I also, you know, um, hope that if you are going to continue your skills that you'll think of me. And so, um, one of the ways I'm able to do that is to offer, you know, a credit towards your next workshop, especially if you're here in Columbus or Ohio. Um, and then I also will refer other classes like, Oh, one of my great friends, Sarah Harsty is a macrame artist and she teaches in Columbus. I'll often say, if you like this and then refer them to another artist, because I always feel like what's good for the greater community ends up coming back to you anyway. So trying to keep in touch and get people, you know, in a space where they're making time to feel more colorful, more creative and more connected with other people. I love that. Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly how I felt. I was like, ooh, neon chalk markers. I could I could get into this. I do love a good chalk marker. I will say. Oh my gosh, I own a million of them. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I know you do. I saw the back of your studio. (laughs) 
it was yeah. kind of pretty marker heaven. I was just like, oh, color codedness. Anything in so, rainbow order is very attractive. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> it really is. Like, yeah. all, like my kids look obsessed with that. Like everything she has to put like in rainbow order. I'm almost starting to wonder if it's like a little bit of a tick. But you know, <laughs> I think it's just very satisfying, and um, I don't know. Color brings me so much joy, and I think putting it in that way, you can keep your cups of markers mixed, but when you organize them by color, all of a sudden it's just a little bit more joyful, playful, fun. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, There is something to be said for that. Like I always joke that I love like a messy space and I do to an extent, but I also am very easily stifled by visual chaos. So sometimes when things are like when things are put away beautifully and look like that, it, I'm much more likely to sit down and just like make something from scratch. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it seems, I guess it seems more inviting. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I, I definitely, I joked at my thought process is like one, two, three, purple, alligator, four. Like I jump all over the place. So <laughs> if I can keep my markers in order, <laughs> that's Seriously. just one less thing to get me off track. <laughs> Your thoughts sound exactly like my thoughts, uh-huh. so I feel your pain. Yeah, I get yeah. you on those. Yeah. So besides the, you know, the great newsletters that you send out after your emails, so what are some other, like, you know, thoughts or ideas or pearls of wisdom you might have for other people that do workshops, not even necessarily people that are traveling, just like, you know, I'm doing some workshops yeah. here in the Austin area coming up. Like, you know, do you have any other suggestions for, like, how you can you know, A, fill the seats, but then mm-hmm. B, you know, maintain a relationship with those people afterwards. I mean, given you want them to have a great experience while they're there, but I'm talking more ideas about the before and after parts. Yeah. I think the most important thing for me before a workshop is to test the workshop. Um, so, you know, I, whenever I'm forming a new curriculum or a new workshop, I always make my friends be crash test dummies for that workshop. And not all of my friends view themselves as crafty. So um, putting them in a position where they might have a harder time with a project, or I have one friend who wants to go like at double time when we're doing something, you know, she wants to speed ahead. This is really good for me because those are the kinds of folks who are also going to be in the workshop. So I always try to sit down and teach the workshop just like I normally would at my dining room table to a few friends and see how they work through it and troubleshoot. And this is really helpful to me. I remember the first time I was going to teach hand-lettered pumpkins, which to me was like, this is so basic. I can't even, I can't imagine anything could go wrong. And then I had three girlfriends over here and none of them could get it. I was like, okay. <laughs> oh my God. The know. fear of those bumps and those pumpkins is like already sending yeah, like lettering exactly. shivers down my spine. Right. But see, I, because I'm so used to lettering on all surfaces, I sometimes just kind of forget that it could challenge other people. Um, and then I'm sitting with my friends and they're being nice about it, but they're aggravated. I'm like, Ooh, okay. Good to know because <laughs> I need to figure out all the ways that I need to help, um, my participants and the folks who attend the workshops uh, work through these bumps and what are some easier ways of doing this project um, that are easier than what I'm currently offering. And I came up with some solutions and was able to put on many, I mean, pumpkin workshops sell like crazy for me now, but probably because the first one went well because of word of mouth (laughs) and it not being so scary like it was for the girls sitting at my kitchen table. So, um, so definitely testing the workshop is critical And then when you're working with um, 
stores and collaborators, I think it's really important to make sure that y'all are on the same page about promoting it and what um, what both the venue and the teacher, the instructor will be offering. So I always like to, when a, a new space comes to me or when I'm approaching them, kind of say, here's what I look for in collaborators. And I have a little checklist to make sure that that's something they feel like they can fulfill. And also that I can say, here's all the things I'm able to offer just to make sure um, right off the bat, we we get it and we have equal investment. Because it can be really difficult when you're in a new space trying to promote your own, especially because I travel so often. When I'm going mm-hmm. to a new city, um, I really do depend on that venue to be all in with helping me to promote because I might not have the kind of audience in Memphis, Tennessee, where I sometimes teach, that I do in Austin because I've taught there several times. So I'm really looking for someone who can be very invested in what I'm bringing and know that what I'll um, that they're investing in me and I'm investing in them. So I think that's critical um, is kind of a a shared understanding of what the others are doing um, and are all in on. And then the after, you know, uh, I think after a workshop, like you brought up that email that I normally send is really important. And then any kind of little bonuses you can offer along the way. Um, You know, when I first started teaching intermediate hand lettering, I wrote to everyone who had taken introduction to hand lettering and I offered them a discounted rate for the first one because even though I tested it with some friends I knew I um, I'm so picky because because I was in curriculum development in education I'm so picky that I really wanted even a second set of eyes on that workshop so if there's little incentives you can offer um, to keep them coming back for more every time you attend a workshop with me you get a coupon for ten dollars off your next workshop so it makes them affordable and it keeps people coming back because they want to use that coupon before it expires. So just little ways to keep engaging them, I think is really important. And that's a value added to them, not just coming back, bringing them back to your business. So it's, you know, it's dual purpose. Yeah. Like I said, with the email, it didn't feel salesy. Do you know what I mean? It didn't feel like you just blanket added me to your newsletter. Like, (laughs) you know, it felt like, oh, okay, good. This is like more information about the class that I paid to take, which, you know, I appreciated it. I thought it was good. Good job, Natalie. Good job. Keep it up. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Well, that means a lot coming from you. (laughs) So I'm going to ask one more question about like the going back to the traveling stuff. Yeah. We're going to get to the heart of Natterdoodle and, you know, how it all came to be. But, you know, obviously, like we were talking about how you travel a lot for workshops. And then since we're friends, I know that you also travel, like even when you're not teaching, like you just did alt and you said you didn't teach at Craftcation last year, right? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, you like, you know, you're like me, like you like to travel to the crafty places, even, you know, if you're not teaching, which, you know, hooray for that. I enjoy it too. It's like, it really is a craftcation. So (laughs) you and I were talking before we hit the red record button a little bit about (laughs) the topic on on everybody's mind, which is the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So how do you think, like, how do you see this playing out in, is, in terms of affecting, you know, people that travel to teach or these like yeah. craft conferences. I mean, I know for one, I'm just like crossing my fingers and kind of hoping it all, you know, I don't know, just goes away. But that's the Libra Enneagram 7 in me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, just like, if I just pray hard enough, it'll just go away. Yeah. My boss sage. at my old job used to say, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> and I would say, I know. oh, <laughs> Exactly. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, too bad. It's mine. Most of the I know, time. no, no, no. So, it's got to be, it's part, here's what I say. It's part of a strategy. Because if you're scared, if you're running scared and you're negative, it's, uh, it's going to make it all the harder to deal with things like this, which really we just don't know what's going to happen, right? We don't know if in two weeks things are going to die down or we don't know if it's going to ramp up. I mean, there's really, it's, it's unprecedented in many ways, at least in my lifetime. Um, yeah, I don't know what that's going to mean for, for events. I did just get back from Alt Summit, which is um, referred to as Alt Summit, but it's Altitude Summit in Palm Springs. So a lot of creatives were at that event and they didn't cancel. They sent out some great information um, ahead of time, kind of making sure folks were ready that they um, were encouraging, you know, the basic things like washing your hands and making decisions based on your own health. And they were also, which I really appreciated, really direct about not letting racism creep into how you treat people at all summit, because you might have assumptions about where Corona is coming from or where it originated. I think that's really important in this, in the kind of uh, landscape of all of this is, is making sure that we're still being open and inclusive to people, even if we may have fear around um, a virus because we don't want to be racist and we don't want to treat and other people. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping that for, Craftcation, which of course I'm bringing that up because you and I are both going, and I know that you and I both love Craftcation. That mm. by the time we go there, that um, this will have died down. I just don't really know. Um, I do worry about small businesses right now and what that's going to mean for me, you, others, um, retail store owners. I'm in a a lot of Facebook groups with other folks who are like-minded or have similar careers. And I see a lot of nervousness and anxiety around fewer people in and out of the door um, at the moment. I'm trying to work on a, right now, a little piece that I hope to share in the next few days about how to support a small business, even when you may be having a staycation, so to speak, right now, when you're trying maybe not to interact with as many folks. Um just because I do, I do worry that in this, in that economy, that, uh, it's going to be a big struggle for folks. I am continuing with workshops as planned as of right now. Um, we are Lysoling and cleaning. We already do, but, um, like double time at the studio and I'm taking as much care and precaution around that personally as I can. Um, my, my philosophy right now is that I, uh, most of my workshops are all adults and I'm hoping that they're um, coming and making choices as preparedly as they can um, for themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they're canceling because they're afraid then, or that they don't want to expose themselves to something, I fully appreciate and understand that. And so I'm trying to make some accommodations around that too, while still respecting um, my business. Cause it is, especially during these months, which are retail slow, after Christmas, the first few months after, um, still respecting that this is my only source of income and it it will affect my whole year. Um, if Mm -hmm. we stop holding workshops, you know, so, yeah, well, for smaller things, like I don't, you know, it hasn't, I mean, I wondered the same things here because I have some workshops on the horizon and I have like my book launch party. I know. And, you know, 
I know, but you know, I'm on the same fence. I'm like, mm-hmm. do I cancel it? Do I not cancel it? I don't know. I just canceled mm-hmm. South by Southwest. Clearly, my book release party is not going to be near as big as South by Southwest. But you know what I mean? Like, It's pretty close, though. It's pretty close. I mean, wise. you know, yeah. we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But they're pretty much parallel in the same field. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's you know, you don't, I think people don't realize like the trickle down effect of all yeah. of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. how it how it affects business, like all kinds of business, every kind of industry, like all the people are, you know, even if you don't ever know anybody that gets it, you're going to know somebody who's been affected by it. Right. And I, 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 you know, in Columbus last weekend was the Arnold Sports Festival and it they ended up canceling it for spectators only the athletes competing could be there and this is a huge event here in Columbus and you know I worried about the economy here in Columbus who over prepare for that because you know we're having tens of thousands of people come to the city and restaurants are over preparing hotel you know it really is a dramatic shift when something like this closes or or um, pauses like South by Southwest so you know I Mm -hmm. do think it's going to have big impacts and I'm um, I'm trying not to live in fear right now, but I, um, but I'm just trying to be as awake and alert and on, um, and keeping up with the news as much as possible. Yeah. Girl, you yeah. need to letter you some like perky little sticker about washing hands. Like, get on it. Like, make it like tomorrow. Oh, like, because, right. you know, we all want to be like. You know, you don't want to put your head in the sand, but you don't want to be a fear monger either. So, you know, right. you could you could make it cute mm-hmm. to wash your hands. Like, if anybody could do this, you could do this. So. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I'll have to I'll have to <laughs> challenge accepted. You know, I'll have to look into how to make washing your hands so chic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm telling you, you could do it. I could see it. Like. <laughs> All right. I'll, challenge accepted. I'll look into that. Okay, good. I'll check in on you on that. <laughs> so now we kind of jumped right into a whole like the middle of your career or where you are now, but I want to backtrack a little bit sure. and talk about, so you, you touched on it a little bit that you used to be kind of in the education and the curriculum field, but like so many of us, you kind of accidentally went to, went from hobby to jobby as you called it, which I love. Uh-huh. So can you kind of right in the middle of this podcast rather than the beginning like tell me and us kind of how natterdoodles like came to be like what's your what's your story yeah sure sure so I was um yeah after graduate school I went um I moved to Columbus Ohio I was um went to school in Athens Ohio at Ohio University those are the Bobcats not the Buckeyes for those of you at home who are Googling Buckeyes right now, no, it's the Bobcats. Um, and after school, I went to Denison University where I was working in student development, student affairs, I worked in leadership and involvement. Um, my background is in leadership education. So I created a lot of curriculum and programming around leadership development, emotional intelligence, um, social justice and inclusion. And that was my career at Denison. I was at Denison for 10 years. When I left, I was, I had a really cool title, actually. And I still wish I could have this title. Dean of Co-Curricular Design. It's a pretty cool title. Oh, I know, it is right? fancy. Yeah. Um, and I did love my title and I loved my work. I loved college students. Um, 18 to 22 is a really cool time in a person's life to 
just figure out not only like who you are right now, but who you're trying to become. And so I really, really um, got a lot of joy and satisfaction out of that work. I will say I was really stressed in that job. And so when I was at night having a really hard time falling asleep, I was trying to come up with when I felt the most mindful. Um, and I realized I had been a writer um, all growing up. And in fact, I was a journalism major before I went to grad school. Um, and then I felt the most mindful when I was kind of reflecting, journaling, kind of writing down my thoughts. And so I turned back to that. And that's kind of how I found hand lettering when I was um, still in education. And I just started to teach myself hand lettering a little by accident. Um, I had a friend who uh, is an expert on building healthy habits. He's written a great book called Atomic Habits. His name is James Clear. And he encouraged me when he saw me kind of doing this visual note taking and this hand lettering to try to practice that habit every day to for stress relief, for kind of mindfulness. And I took on that challenge and started doing that. And I started posting to Instagram. And Instagram five, six years ago was not hard. You could post something and people would see it and you didn't have to like put a million hashtags or know exactly what time of day to put it on. I was really using it as an accountability measure for myself, um, not really for any other reason. And organically, people just found me on Instagram. And I think people are often just looking for places where they can be inspired or find a little bit of joy or connection online. Um, and, and folks were kind of feeling connected to what I was doodling and sharing. And uh, were asking to buy what I was making, but I never considered myself an artist. And so I would not, not let anyone pay for it. So I would just ship it to strangers across the country, <laughs> actually the globe, and be like, no, 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 you don't have to pay for it here. If you like it, I will pay $8 to ship it to you. <laughs> let me pay you to like my thing. <laughs> yeah, allow, allow me to please pay for this and make this for you, stranger. But, you know, it was a really cool, it was a cool time because I think as I was doing that, I my friends were saying, that's amazing. You're paying a lot in postage. And it's clear that people like what you're making. Maybe you should sell it even for a nominal fee. And I, I started to kind of rethink, not just, oh, I could make money on this, but, oh, what I have to offer to the world is valuable, right? And people want it and want to see more of it. And so I just built myself a little website and I posted like, I don't know, 15 things the first day and they all sold out that day. And I thought, okay, I might have actually stumbled into something that I uh, didn't know uh, I, I was good at and that other people wanted to see more of. So that's kind of the origin story of Natter Doodle. And then I just started doing, you know, craft shows and getting involved with the creative community here in Columbus, Ohio, and um, just kind of teaching myself to own this little side hustle. And then about, uh, gosh, just under three years ago, I left um, to pursue Natter Doodle full-time. I left my full-time job to, to work with Natter Doodle um, and see what I could, what I could make it into and if I could make it work. And, you know, it's hard. It's still really hard, yeah. but I love it and I'm um, grateful for it every day. So, yeah, that's the little that's origin. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's like I don't really think until maybe even 
like my kids' generation, we'd never, like in my generation, and you're younger than me, but, you know, we didn't grow up thinking like, you know, like you could be a lettering artist when you get older. Right. No, no, you no. could decorate Christmas trees when you get older. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you can be, you know, like a lawyer, a doctor, a factory right. worker. Like there were these jobs like, you know, my kids and the upcoming generations, like they know that like careers in this creative industry are possible. So yeah. I love these stories about like, I mean, all of us, you know, have that, like where it's like, yeah. well, I was doing this one thing and then I started making this other thing and then it started selling. And then I was like, hey, wait, I could do this instead. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I had friends who were graphic designers, but I, I don't know, you know, even well into my late twenties did I understand that you could make a living in art doing anything other than graphic design, maybe if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, and I really didn't know much about the maker movement, you know, um, which really I do feel like has been booming, you know, over the last few years. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really grateful to be on this creative journey. I always call myself an accidental entrepreneur. You know, I love making things. I struggle with the business side, but I've, you know, kind of guess and check philosophy. Does this work? No. Does this work? Yes. Okay. We'll do this with business. Because <laughs> um, it's a part of my brain I didn't have to flex before. You know, in education, you get a budget and then you just can't go over that budget. But I didn't have to ever make money for, you know, for the, the college, I just had to spend, not overspend what was in the budget for our departments. And, um, it's a very different ball game when you're, you're trying to make things and make money, you know, and mm -hmm. yeah, it's just totally, and there's so many different channels for it and which ones to pursue and which, you know, aren't for you. So I did a whole year of a year of yes. When I first left my job, I'm going to say yes to every creative opportunity and see what sticks and what I like and what makes money and also what just brings me joy. And then the year after that, I quickly did a year of edit, which was, no, 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 <laughs> that was fun. But now we're going to do a year of what actually um, makes sense and not just saying yes to everything. But I'm glad I had that year of exploration so I could have a year to kind of pare it down and figure out what really worked for Natterdoodle and for me. Um, and I think that's really the only way to, to do it, right? Because there are so many different kind of mm -hmm. channels you can go down with it. Yeah. And, you know, you can go to, you know, we since we were both at just at Midwest Craft Con. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, even if you're trying to stay within your focus, there's just like, you can go down that rabbit hole of feeling like, you know, you need 17 passive incomes and you need to be yeah. teaching this workshop and you need the affiliate links and you need, you know, right. to have a product and you need to have a podcast. And da -da 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 -da. I mean, I do it all the time. So, oh, yeah. you know, sometimes you just have to like do exactly what you said. Take that time to like, I mean, I feel like I've done it all, you know, and then I like had to do the same thing, like kind of come in and be like, all right, like this wasn't working. Like you can't, can't yeah. keep on doing that one. Like you got to keep doing more of this other thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, and there will be a lot of people who will think they know what's right for your business too, you know, and I find that still, you know, people are giving me advice and some of it's great. And it's like, yeah, that's great. And I should be thinking about that right now. Some of it's like, I should maybe think about that down the line. And some of it is just a distraction and isn't really what I need to be focusing on either for my own head and heart or for actual, like the viability of my business. So it can be hard to sort through some of that mm -hmm. stuff. And it's hard to say no, especially if the thing is cool, but mm -hmm. 
but it doesn't actually serve your greater goals, right? You have to be choosier. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm getting better at that because I did that year of edit, which could be my excuse. Like I'd get an email, you should partner with us. And I'm like, hello, this year is the year of edit. Thank you for understanding. And a lot of people were like, that's cool. You know, like we like that Mm -hmm. you're focusing that way. So I've just tried to be really open with people who are giving me business advice or with opportunities. Like this is what I'm currently focusing on. And I have to kind of stay in this lane a little bit and only veer out selectively, you know? Well, see, you think you don't have a, you're just now flexing your business mind. That all sounds like, that sounds like pretty damn stellar advice to me. Like Uh, I've been doing this 20 years and I don't even know how to stay in my lane. Like I went from Christmas trees to podcasts. I mean, don't take advice from me on anything. But see, but you're excited about, if the podcast is something that excites you, and makes that for me is enough of a reason, but just because someone else thinks you should be doing a podcast, that's not a great reason, right? I used to spend a lot of energy on what other people thought was the right solution for me. And that just wore me out because I never mm-hmm. really felt as committed, you know, like there are things that I do now that, uh, that really aren't, um, moneymaker. Like I do fundraising workshops for, or, you know, charities and nonprofits, I make very minimal money when I do that. I do it because I like charity and I like to be involved in the community. So is it really part of my greater goals about sustaining my business? Not really, but does it bring me satisfaction and joy and make me feel more connected to the organizations in my community? Yeah. So that's a choice for me because it also makes me just feel good. And that's enough of a reason for me. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I was going to ask you, I'm going to come right back to that, but like, I'm going to come around to it, like in a Mm -hmm. weird convoluted way. But, um, you know, you were saying like, you know, having a business is hard and that's the truth. It is hard. And when we were at Midwest Craft Con, you know, I, I got put on that panel about self-care and, you know, one of the things everybody was talking about, like, I think people that don't make a living from their creativity think that that sounds like the most amazing thing ever. And, you know, people were asking me questions about it and I wasn't trying to be Debbie Downer, but I was saying like, you know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Because once it does become your full-time gig, you know, you start feeling like, you know, can I do these other things that just bring me joy? I mean, I need I to be know. doing something that's going to pay the bills all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you ever find yourself get stuck in that loop? Oh, gosh. Well, yeah. I mean, the greatest irony of my business is that I started my business accidentally through my self-care practice. You know? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, there is some irony in that. <laughs> so it's a like, little bit. Right, exactly. You know, I, I was doing hand lettering so that I could calm my brain down at night. And now I'm doing hand lettering and it comes with all these other stressors. So it's, you know, yes, absolutely. Uh, I do think that that is a real challenge. And I, I think it is, you know, a lot of people, especially when they're attending your workshop, even last night I taught a workshop and someone said, oh my gosh, you're living the dream. And you know, I am in many ways. Like I am my own boss. I have a magical space. I have a lovely home and the cutest dog. And also I'm very stressed out because I don't, I half the time feel like I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's like, I don't, um, I don't ever want to be ungrateful for all the loveliness that is my life. And also I don't want to be inauthentic that there were months where I was really scared last year. Like, can I really do this anymore? Is this going to work for me? And I try to be really authentic about that online talking about, you know, 
I had a, like, I had two months where I couldn't pay my whole business credit card off. It scared me, you know, and I'd never mm-hmm. been in that position before. Um, and that is a, and I know that's a, like an absolute statement of privilege that I've never been in that position before. I, I realized that. And it's the first time that I thought, whoa, uh, a nine to five job with a health plan and a 401k, all those things, like, yes, it, it had its downsides and it also had security. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that, that can be kind of messy. So I have tried to come up with other ways to have self-care that aren't my hand lettering anymore. Not that I don't get any self-care out of it, but, um, you know, I go to therapy. It's pretty important for me. Um, <laughs> I really, you know, I, uh, it's just really beneficial for me. And I'm really glad I'm going. It's taught me a lot about myself, about my coping mechanisms. It just is a safe place for me to talk about my fears and my worries um, without, and feeling like maybe I can leave some of them or just shut the door a little bit more on them when I walk out the door. Um, That's really important. Travel for me is therapy. I mean, getting away is really important for me. I've been a big traveler my whole life and, um, it is nice for me that I get to go teach, uh, when I'm traveling that often will like pay for my flight. Um, but, Mm -hmm. but it also is just a nice way for me to take care of myself and get creative inspiration and just enjoy myself. But yeah, it, it is now the case that hand lettering isn't the self care that it once was for me. Um, and so I, I have, I have had to be intentional about how am I taking care of myself outside of that when that used to be my outlet for that kind of relief. Yeah. Well, cause I was going to say like, I mean, you know, for me, like when I did naughty secretary club, like when I got to that point where I was just like, if I see another bead, like I'm going to hurt somebody. Like I figure you get to that, you know, I figure you get to that point where you're yeah. just like, I want to stab my eyes out with all the yeah. brush lettering pens. So like, yeah. do you have any other, besides, you know, travel and therapy and, you know, mm-hmm. God bless therapy and Zoloft. But yeah. do you like have any, um, like, do you other take like other creative classes? Like I was telling you earlier, I yeah. take all the like yeah. rando classes. Yeah, I do. Um, not as often as I'd like to, but that's one of the reasons I'm obsessed with craftcation and craftcon. Um, is because when I'm there, you know, I have never taught a craftcation and I absolutely could. And I think I will one day it's on my bucket list, but I've been selfish in that when I go to craftcation, I want to really have it be a vacation. And so, you know, I'm in there latch hooking and failing miserably at it. (laughs) I'm really bad at it. Um, and doing stained glass and immediately after making my beautiful stained glass window ornament, dropping it and breaking it. So, you know, that's the saddest story I ever heard. It's a pretty sad tale, but it, but (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to bring it down such a bad road. Um, but you know, I, yeah, I, I go to those events so that I can, um, experience those, fun moments um and the the fun of being out of my element with creativity too um mm-hmm. and then I yeah like I I've gone to circle weaving because my friend teaches uh, macrame classes and all kinds of stuff in Columbus that are just candle making all kinds of fun stuff and because I I'm my target audience, honestly, <laughs> you know, right. So, I know. Yeah. I mean, I really am. So I love to go to other people's events and it, it's also just helpful. Another way of thinking about, Ooh, I never thought about talking about it this way when I'm at my own workshop. So it's, 
Plus, you can expense it. You know, it's research. So I mean, true dad. Yeah, Yeah, no, I love that's like for me, like, you know, I was saying in my painting class that it's like sometimes like, you know, when you're trying to create things that you think would make like a good product or when I'm trying to create something that I think like a client would like, it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily like, I mean, you've seen my art. That's not necessarily you know, what I'm going to do for HGTV is not the same thing of what I'm going to do in my sure. own private time art. So sometimes taking those classes, like, I think is a good, like, release for all those things and to, you know, flex other creative muscles you didn't know you had. And then mm-hmm. it, and then in weird ways, it comes back to what you do for a living, I find. Like, you know, like you said, even if it's just like a good tip on how to teach a workshop, but I always find that I take something away from one of those classes that I'm like, ooh, I yeah. want to do this, this, and this, and this other thing that I already do. Totally. I think that's really true. And even, um, I always try to go to all the new exhibits in Columbus, the art exhibits, because even Mm -hmm. if I don't have, you know, the three hours to take a class or I just know that I'm not going to be good at X, Y, or Z thing, going to the exhibits and experiencing other people's art for me is huge, especially, um, when there's an awesome theme, which really just challenges how I'm looking at my own work, how, um, I'm seeing other people's work. So yeah, just creative experiences outside of just workshops. Uh, I'm always desperately looking for those. And we just had so much fun when we went to that amazing other world installation mm-hmm. here in Columbus, right. Which is this old, I mean, I think it was like an old office max or something. It's enormous, but it was like 20 something rooms inside of this place. And I left that feeling so inspired by texture mm-hmm. and, and, um, and light and just in how these art pieces, they're interacted when you touch them. And I was thinking about how does that play out into my work? That's actually part of the reason I started getting into like holographic stickers and things. Cause I loved at um, that other world exhibit, when you would touch something, it would shimmer, you know? And I was mm-hmm. like, Ooh, I wish my stickers could be more like that, you know? So yeah, all those things. And I- I want you to do black light things like that place. I, I know you going did like, say that. I know. I know. I was yeah. like obsessed with all the black. Like you should do like fuzzy black light lettering posters that people can remember those. Like you used to get like the unicorn. Oh, or like of the course. I remember those. Butterfly, you know, and it came with three awesome. markers. Yeah. Only so three. Small. It was like, what in the yeah. hell? That, <laughs> that damn poster is four feet tall and you expect <laughs> these three little baby markers to finish oh the job. I know. Well, that was a good marketing <sighs> technique because then you had to go buy more of the markers. Exactly. It. See, mm-hmm. you could sell those and be like, there you, hey, go. you need more markers. <laughs> so go ahead and buy them here. I don't and know no, how you manufacture those, but I'm all in. If like Lisa Frank's <laughs> team is listening, call me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be a good fit. You'd be so good. I love it. But you know, and, and this is one of the reasons why, like, cause you're so creative and you do like look at these other things and you know, right now, like, you know, lettering any field, lettering can be like a crowded space like oh, sure. you know like you know so how like how do you make natterdoodles stand out from the rest like to me i can see your stuff and know it's your stuff like it stands Thank out you. to me yeah. do you know what i mean like do you mm-hmm. have like conscious ways you're trying to make it like stand out from the rest so um yeah i, I say i would say some of them are conscious and maybe some are unconscious and i've just started kind of unravel what they are. Um, my personal mantra and philosophy just as a human being and really as a woman, but is stay tender, stay tough. And I, I think that that really represents my work really well. So this kind of duality of women that we can be 
strong and soft at the same time. And I think mm-hmm. my work often looks really feminine, but the messaging is really powerful um, and really about strength um, or just being a kick-ass person. Um, and so I think that a lot of my work kind of reflects that. Like it might, it's really colorful, it's joyful, but a lot of the time it's really, a, it's it's deep and, and kind of rooted in authentic feeling, emotion, and just kind of empowering um, messaging. So that's kind of, I think, I hope what some people can get from my work is that kind of philosophy of you can be both things, right? You can be pretty and really, really prickly. You can, you can be both things. You can be both things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, I think one of the things that makes it stand out. I also, I follow a lot of artists on social media, but I don't follow a lot of lettering artists and not because I don't love their work. There's some, I do follow several. Um, but I've always been really conscious of like, I I want my style to develop as my own. And I, I don't, I love brush lettering, but it's not necessarily my aesthetic for as a, as an artist, even though I am obsessed with watching videos of it. Cause it's like addicting kind of like when you watch people cookie, like frost cookies online, I could do that all day. Um, <laughs> but I've always wanted my, my style to develop more naturally. So I try to have my, my influences from art are maybe less from lettering artists and more from other artists, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think that also makes my lettering because it's not, I'm going to use air quotes here, which you can see, I think through the radio, correct air quotes, um, Mm -hmm. technically (laughs) correct, right. It's not technically, um, technically proficient if you're reading like the one-on-one guidebook on calligraphy, but it has its own kind of unique style and I add a lot of different variety of technique to my work that I think mm-hmm. also maybe not every piece looks exactly the same but they look like they belong in the same family if that makes sense no and I I love that and I think that's one of the reasons that makes me a love your style is that it's like an eclectic blend of several things b mm-hmm. you use lots of color See, yeah. you have stickers Maybe that say things much. like, I was not made to be subtle. Girl, don't ever say there's too much thing as color. That is like, <laughs> that's like blasphemy well, around it's these It's not parts. for everyone, that's for sure. So I have three quick questions to kind of yeah. wrap things up with. Sure. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so A, and the most important <laughs> question of this whole podcast interview is. Oh, gosh. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Does confetti miss me? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, confetti. The dog misses you dramatically. Um, she's very um, right now. She's very preoccupied because the mail hasn't arrived. So she is a very stereotypical dog, and that she needs to yell um, at the mail person every day. So she's currently working on that. But in between waiting for the mail to arrive, she's been just absolutely devastated since your exit. Right. Yeah. It's been touch and go. Good. That's what I want to hear. Like (laughs) confetti is just like dying for me to come back. Mm -hmm. So I do love me a cute dog. And Tallulah loved her confetti sticker. She did. Good, good, good. She did. She did. I stole one of them, but she got to keep the rest of them. (laughs) Good. Next question. I like how you just like really nonchalantly like threw in that like James Clear New York Times bestseller. Like comment, you were like, you know, my friend James Clear. I'm like, like I haven't read Atomic Habits, so how, you have how you do read you read it? 
Yeah, of course I have. Well, like, I mean, so well, good. I don't read. I don't read anything, but I listen to it on Audible, and that totally <laughs> counts, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely counts. I listen to so it on Audible too, and he he's one of my closest friends. <laughs> oh, really? That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. How do you guys know each other? Oh, how do I know him? Oh, so he was a student at Denison. Um, oh, that's so funny. He was in my first graduating class at Denison, and I actually didn't know him really when he was a student, but his wife is one of my very best friends. And so, um, as they were dating, I got to know him through her and they live here in Columbus and, um, yeah, we're, we've been great pals for years. He's an amazing person. He's a great writer. He's smart as a whip. He's tall as a human being can possibly be. And he's just absolutely wonderful. He's great. He's really good friend and a really caring person I love him oh well uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, when you said that I was like you know needle in the record scratch like what I know that <laughs> <laughs> I get his newsletter so that's I know fine. yeah it's, he's he's great it's funny because he he was on Amy Tan Jareen's uh podcast mm-hmm, and I, I didn't that. know he yeah and I didn't know he was on it until I was listening to it and then I'm like excuse me I called him I go what made you think I wouldn't want to know that you were going to be on Amy Tangerine's podcast? He's like, I didn't know. I'm like, hey, I didn't know that like you would be connected to her. I'm like, oh, she's a pretty big deal. <laughs> I definitely know who Amy Tangerine is in my sphere. She's like huge. And he's like, oh, sorry. Did you want me to connect you to her? I'm like, no, I already know her. But you should have told me. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, you know, it's funny, like in bringing it full circle is I really right. think Amy is who told me about that book. Really? How funny. Yeah, Yeah. I I think she's who put it on my radar, like, either at Craftcation or when she was in Austin, we went out to dinner. But I kind of think she's who told me about him. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's a small world. I know. Well, next time you visit Columbus, I'll have to bring you over to meet James and his amazing, awesome wife, Christy, who's frankly better than James as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) But she didn't write a book. (laughs) I'm kidding. They're both amazing. They're amazing people. I like it. Well, speaking of coming to Columbus, we didn't go when I was there, but I ask everybody this question. If we had gone for queso, where would we have gone? Yeah. So I was actually very surprised that you didn't kind of demand this of me when you were here. Um, (laughs) But I do. One thing that I should say is I am more of a guacamole person, which I know is really hard for you to hear. Um, But I do. (laughs) If I'm going to eat queso, I want to eat it at a restaurant called Nada. And they have one in Cincinnati and one in Columbus. And it's just really good and they give you way too much of it and you could really just not order dinner and just eat the queso and be very full and it's it's very very good but I also want to order guac too because I love guac really I just want more your vegetables chips is what I want I mean exactly give me all the dips and vegetables yeah yeah that's what I'm saying like if you have your guacamole like that counts as your vegetable to go with your cheese dip dinner that's true. Well, and at Nada, they give you, um, what is that? I want to call it, I know I'm going to call it the wrong thing. It's white. Hickama, hickama, to dip oh, in the uh-huh. block. And I don't, there's something very satisfying about how it's cold and the texture of it. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. It's good. They make them into tacos here. Like they cut it real thin. And like yes, a taco. yes. It's crazy tasty. Well, then it's so done. Next good. time I come up there because confetti misses me, we're going to go yeah. get queso with James Clear. And <laughs> there you go. I've got it all planned. That makes 
total sense. I'm excited for it. Sounds like a good starter. That's day one. And then we'll come up with what day two, three, and four will be with later. I like it. But until then, I will see you at Craftcation. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I've had such an awesome chat. Yay! It was great to chat with you and talk some creative, cool stuff. Thank you so much, Natalie, for stopping by and chatting. If you find yourself in Columbus, be sure to hit up the Natterdoodle shop. If Natalie is teaching in your area, get into her class. And in the meantime, check out all her amazing goodies online at natterdoodle.com. That's N-A-T-T-E-R-D-O-O-D-L-E. And on Instagram at natterdoodles with an S. Need more creative queso in your life? Well, I just don't blame you. You can check out other episodes and conversations with people like Craftcation founder Nicole Stevenson, alt founder Gabrielle Blair, and other amazing lettering artists like Shelly Kim and Amy Tan. Remember to please subscribe, share, rate, review any and all of the above makes me feel warm and squishy inside and helps me promote this podcast. If you want to help support this podcast, you know, one of the easiest things you could do is pop over to Amazon and check out my influencer shop. You can find books from all my guests, craft supplies, and more. It's amazon.com backslash shop backslash Jennifer Perkins. Thank you to Mariah Gossett for producing, Chris Beck for the music, and to you for listening. And remember, if you want to hang out all week long, you can find me on Instagram at Creative Queso or at Jennifer Perkins.